heaven and upon earth. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 36. Fellowship has been wonderful. Man. You young men have been such a blessing. Serving, preaching. Appreciate the messages that we preach. Amen. Great to edify and bless. Trusting that God is going to continue to minister to our hearts tonight. We'll be reading in Genesis chapter 37. We'll read verses 1 through 20. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. He made him a coat of many colors. When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Joseph dreamed a dream, told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheep arose and also stood upright. Behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheep. His brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren. He said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. Behold, the sun and the moon, the eleven stars made obeisance to me. He told it his father to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. His brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem. Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, came to Shechem. A certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. The man said, They are departed hence. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. When they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, 
Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him. Cast him into some pit. We will say some evil beast have devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. Tonight, by the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach on the thought of faithful dreamers. Father, we do come to Lord, before you throne and grace, Father, by the name the righteousness of Jesus. Father, we need Lord, to hear your voice tonight, Father, I pray. Father, for a word in due season, Lord, that you would minister your grace, Father, that you would revive, Father, that you would stir our hearts tonight, that you would reveal yourself, Father, and your way afresh unto Father, I pray that you would accomplish your will here tonight. We thank you for it. We ask it in Jesus. Amen. Amen. The book of Genesis is indeed a treasure trove of foundational typological truth. And if you study Genesis from chapters 12 through 50, you will encounter the divine record of four defining men. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. In Abraham, we see the representative man. In Isaac, the patterned son. In Jacob, the persevering patriarch who overcomes to finish strong. And in Joseph, we see the exalted servant Savior. Each of these men are unique in their own respect. But oh, in Joseph, we see a glorious fullness. A beautiful, spiritually symmetrical culmination of the most noble aspects of the three great patriarchs. What a man. What a life. And what a story. And as far as I am concerned, nothing rivals this story in all of history. In fact, one of my favorite moments in all of the Bible is here in this story. When Joseph reveals himself to his brethren. And this is what we've got to understand. Amen. This is not mere emotion. Oh no, but there is a beautiful lesson which God wants to teach us. And that is this. He longs to reveal himself to us. From the moment that Joseph saw his brethren, he desired to reveal himself to them, but he couldn't because they had to be brought to a place of humility. You see, there are certain laws and spiritual conditions which God will not violate. And through the dealings of Joseph, the benevolent dealings, these brothers were humbled. And this is what we see. We see that they were humbled, but more than anything else, there was a glorious paradigm shift. And what we see is Judah representing these brothers who had ceased to live for themselves. And Judah expresses a genuine concern for their father. And when Joseph demanded that Benjamin be left here and they return, Judah intercedes. Listen to what 
says. He says, therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. And when he said that, the Bible said, Joseph could no longer refrain himself. Do you see what is taking place? It is only when one becomes burdened for the glory of God that Christ, who is the way, is revealed to that heart. I would say tonight, without fear of contradiction, that this divinely recorded narrative regarding Joseph is one of the most relevant in all of the scriptures regarding the church at this point in history. Because if Jesus does not return first, this nation is headed for a famine. The foundations have been destroyed and the trajectory cannot continue forever. But just as God had a plan then, He has a plan now. And 20 years before famine hit the land of Egypt, God had sent a man before them who would be fashioned as a vessel of deliverance and preserve the life of Israel and the whole world. And I believe tonight that there is a Joseph company that is being prepared in this land. We personally know of many who have veered from the narrow way and they're headed for a spiritual famine as well. And we must stay the course. We may have life to all those who would come to their sin. You know, something that we need to understand about this famine and what is coming upon this land. It was not the devil that sent the famine, but God himself. And you remember when Joseph stood before Pharaoh, he said, Pharaoh, God has shown you what he is about to do. And that famine was sent to create an environment in which God's spiritual purposes could be fulfilled. And, now, and this is what we must always keep in mind. This life, as glorious as it is, it's not about our bucolic and romantic Pentecostal homeschool utopia. You and I exist for the glory of God and serve purposes right. in this Amen. And as Isaiah said, when the judgments of God are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And so we consider this narrative tonight. The main players therein are Joseph, Jacob, and the brothers. And in their lives we see beautifully God's purpose in all that He ordains. Number one, God's primary purpose in all things is the glorification and the manifestation of His beloved Son, which we see in the exaltation of Joseph through this providential famine. God's secondary purpose is the sanctification and the enlargement of His church. And this is evident in the glimpse we are provided in the spiritual progression of Jacob as he passed through this trial. You know, Jacob suffered much 
when he prayed through, he allowed God to deal with his heart. And he was able to finish strong. And finally, we see God's desire to bring the lost to repentance, which is wonderfully illustrated in the hard search <coughs> brought upon Joseph's brothers as they were forced to face their sin. But apart from the famine, none of this would have taken place. You know, we pray, oh God, sin revival. God, make me more like Jesus. Oh God, save the lost. God is answering that prayer. As we pray that, we're tempted to look at our own lives, at the trials and the opposition that we all face, and we wonder, God, why is this happening to me? Why is this not happening to me? What is going on in my life? Oh God. But you consider the story of Joseph. If Joseph is not despised by his brethren, yes, then he's not thrown in the pit. And if he's not put in that pit, he's not then sold to those Ishmaelites. And if he's not sold to the Ishmaelites, he doesn't find himself in Egypt. And if he's not in Egypt, he's not bought by Potiphar and then serves in his house where God prepares him. And if he's not there in Potiphar's house, then he never faces the temptation of Potiphar's wife. And thus he's never put in that prison. Oh, that's right. And if he's not put in that prison, he doesn't interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker. And if he doesn't interpret those dreams, then Pharaoh doesn't know there's a man that can interpret dreams. Come on. And thus Joseph, yeah. in the fullness of time, yeah, yeah. as he's walked through all of this, maybe wondering what's really going on, he's not been brought forth as the very Savior of all the world. Do you see? And we must look at our lives yes, through this perspective. But few have a real dream or a vision from God and want what God wants Come on. and are willing to walk and stay the course. That's right. What should be the posture of our heart as we survey the natural landscape the same as it was of Christ as He was headed to the cross? <laughs> oh, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. You see, just as God had John the Baptist in preparation in the wilderness until the time of his showing forth unto Israel, God has a Joseph company which is being fashioned to preserve life in the earth. And tonight I want to glean a few lessons in truth from the life of Joseph, which I hope will encourage us in the way and be of help to prepare us for the coming of famine. Number one, the righteous do suffer. Yes, sir. Joseph was a man who overcame fiery trials and temptations, but he redeemed the pressures of the way. And if you and I are going to reign, then we must also suffer 
with Him. That's right. That's why Peter said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Why do we say think it not strange? Because we're so apt to think it a strange thing when we find ourselves in fiery trials. It says in Philippians, Unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His Son. But James said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. From the outset of his life, Joseph experienced perpetual conflict, upheaval, pressure, and testing. As Brother Clinton has so eloquently stated, this is the Christian life. It's God the Father. Manifesting God the Son by God the Holy Ghost in a prepared vessel called the church. But that vessel is prepared in the pressure cooker of life. Yes, right. Look at Joseph. He was prepared as a vessel. He was rejected by his own family. Ostracized. Sold into slavery by his very own brothers. Taken to a foreign land as a youth. He was falsely accused and his character was maligned. And he was eventually cast into a dungeon and forgotten about. Doesn't sound like God's wonderful plan for his life or a very good Bible school. But it was the best. Because God's ways are not man's ways. But this is what I want us to see here tonight. Why? Did Joseph suffer these things? What was the occasion for all that Joseph suffered at the hands of his brethren? I'll tell you what it was. Joseph was a dreamer. He dared to dream the dream of God. And Joseph simply dared to believe and to cleave to everything that God had revealed unto him. As Brother Britt has eloquently stated, the irony of the modern apostasy is both tragic and illuminating. The spiritual degeneration of the professing church is so advanced that the more a man practices the Bible, sadly the less he's considered to be a genuine Christian. Amen. Those carnal brothers, they called him a dream. And I'm here to tell you tonight, if you merely believe the testimony of the Scripture regarding all things, then you are going to be maligned as a dreamer. If you merely believe the Word of God is absolutely perfect to the top and tittle as it's set forth in the Scriptures, you're going to be called a dreamer. Yes, sir. When you come, they're going to say, here comes that's dreamer. If you believe the gospel actually delivers a man from sin, you're a dreamer. If you believe that Romans 7 was not the testimony of Paul as a Christian, they're going to call you a dreamer. If you dare to believe that every member of the local church should be fully committed and of the same mind and judgment, there's a radical call in unity. 
unto thee. Amen. According to your word. You Amen. see, that's pure Christianity. Dreamers just believe that God is really God. Amen. And if you hold to these things in this hour, like Joseph, you will be called a dreamer as well. But it's only through dreamers that Christ is manifest in God's right. But this incarnation cannot be separated from the way. The pressure cooker of life, with all of its unexpected trials, is where God forges that vessel. That's where the Word becomes flesh. That's where we each buy the truth. And we lay hold upon that gold tribe in the fire. This is where we by faith lay hold upon the precious promises of God and become partakers of the divine nature. Just as God has a plan for our lives, Satan has a plan for our lives as well. That's right. Satan desires to use those same trials of life to cause us to compromise that dream. Oh, yes. Settle yes. for something yes. less. When Joseph was coming to check on his brothers, listen to what they said. They said, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit and we shall see what becomes of those. Um, do you see what's going on here? This is Satan speaking through those brothers. And he wants each of us to forsake that dream. Right. To lay down that vision. He wants us to forsake it in our hearts. To make us think that this is some kind of an unattainable pipe dream. He wants to talk you out of being so dogmatic. To stop fighting and to settle for something less than what God has revealed to To become jaded and cynical. And he will seek to use the slander and the opposition of the carnal to wear you down. And he will also use just daily life. If we are not circumspect and diligent, he'll use marriage and work. Just the passing of time to cause us to lose sight of all That's right. I tell you, I was convicted as God led me in this direction. And I went back to this message. Oh, I realized that my eyes to some degree have become dim to that glorious vision and all that God would renew it in our hearts. In essence, this is what Satan is saying. I will oppose him from every quarter. I'll slay his reputation and I'll throw him in a pit of oppression and we will see what becomes Come on. We must not be ignorant of the devices of the devil. You see, Paul speaks of the offense of the cross. For a while I wondered what was he speaking of? You see, the cross is simply the will. 
but I believe the offense of the cross. It's the unavoidable fallout that any man who chooses that narrow way will experience. It's the oppression. It's the opposition. If any man would dare to be a dreamer and hold to that vision. Come on. Sadly, this opposition comes mostly from those within you know, you think about John the Baptist. Oh, this is God's model of evangelism. And we as evangelists, we would be wise to take heed <coughs> of what God has revealed in this life. Yeah. That we would understand what we are up against. <coughs> God prepared this man for 30 years, for six months of ministry. And John was faithful. But his swan song wasn't some great crusade in Jerusalem. That man, the Bible says, none born greater of women. He found himself in Herod's dungeon. Right. Yeah. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. And he had to pass through that dark night of the soul. But oh, he did the right thing. He sent word from Jesus. Oh. He inquired of God. And Jesus sent his disciples back to him. And basically, they told him what Jesus said. Blessed are those that are not Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. He was being tempted to yeah. question. Yes. Yes. I mean, everything God revealed to him, what God had called him to, this sure doesn't look like success. But Jesus let him know, you're in that dungeon, John, not because you're out of the will of God, but because you're right in the middle of the That's right. Yes, sir. This is the end of evangelism right here. It's probably not going to end in a glorious manner. Amen. What we see is that success is it's not worth it. But when her Herod called over Herodias' daughter to come and dance, pleased him so well, she said, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. All the riches that she could have. But that tormented come on from that preacher, she said, I don't want your riches. Give me the head of that preacher. Come on, As Brother Britt said last night, Oh, we don't come home and lay in our beds. Torment. Come on. That's right. Come on. So when you go out there, right. that conscience is tormenting oh, them. They can tell you it's not successful, yes, but it is most. That's right. Come on. Jesus' final message to his disciples. These are his parting words. He said, basically, if you love me, you'll obey me. And when you do, I'll manifest myself to you and through. But when that happens and you bring forth the fruit of my life, this world's going to hate you just like it hated me. Amen. But don't you be Come on. They're going to cast you out of the synagogue. They're going to kill you. Maybe they're doing God a service. But stay. Yes, You see this? Glory be to God. As Brother Clinton said, after 30 something years of passion, he said, I've come to know that most of what I suffered wasn't because I was wrong, but because yeah. I was right. Yeah. Joseph evidently learned this lesson because the Bible said <coughs> in the midst of those trials, 
as he looked to God and submitted himself and held the course. Iron came into his yes, soul. Amen. God solidified and established and galvanized the heart of Jesus. Amen. Yes, Come on. You see, we're all being tested in the extreme. And it's only going to intensify mentally, physically, financially, in perils amongst false brethren, accusations, occasions to be offended, to become jaded and cynical, the temptation to throw in the towel and settle for something. That's right. You see, that's what the devil is seeking to do in each Come on. But consider this. We have the privilege of surveying the entire life of Joseph from beginning to end. And what do we see? We see a divinely controlled ebb and flow. We see highs and we see lows. You see, Joseph incurred the hatred of his brothers. But amidst that, He's enjoying sweet fellowship with his father. We see his father promote him and grant him a position of authority. But then he's stripped of it by his brothers. He's sold into slavery and taken away from his home. But then he's placed in Potiphar's house where he is blessed and exalted once again. But then we see he goes from that place and he's falsely accused and he finds himself in a dungeon. But finally in God's time, when the work is complete, he's exalted to that place that God had for him all along. You see, it's the same ebb and flow that happens in our lives. You know, you're going along. Everything is seeming to be smooth. But perhaps you start to trust in yourself. Yeah. And God has to yeah. humble you. Yeah. Yes, sir. Perhaps you're becoming enamored with something <coughs> of the world. And God has to judge that idol. You know, you're going along and all of a sudden you find yourself in a season of correction and reproof. I'll tell you for me, like Brother Brett said when he spoke with Brother Kim, he said, Brother Kim, it doesn't seem like you ever go through anything. And he said, if you can see into this mind, it's as though there's a rubber band about to snap at any moment. I sense that. I go through days like that. You sense the oppression. Oh, you fear the future. You wonder, am I going to make it? Oh, all of hell is coming upon you. But then the clouds split and it all lifts. You see, this is the air and the flow of our lives. But God's in control and he's testing us. He's putting us in the fire, but not tempting us more or testing us more than we can bear. That's what's going on. That's what happened in the life of Joseph. As God brings us from glory to glory. Amen. As he forges that vessel. What's taking place? Song of Solomon's. He says, awake, O north wind. You know the north wind? That was the cold wind of judgment. And he said, awake, O north wind. Let that wind of chastening and affliction blow. But then he says, come thou south wind. That's the wind of blessing. 
the wind of refreshing. But both of them are needed. For he said, blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Amen. And that's what's happening in the heart. Amen. Secondly, we must understand that God's ways are not man's ways. That's right. Yes, sir. There's a way that seems right to us, but the end thereof is death. There's also a way that seems wrong, a way that seems like death, but the end thereof is life. You know, the story of Joseph, it starts in chapter 37. But in chapter 36, we have something. Does anybody happen to know what Genesis <coughs> I'd be duly impressed. There's a meaning? Yes. We have the genealogy of Esau. Now, what does the genealogy of Esau and all of these great dukes have to do with Joseph? Oh, hear me, young people. We see in chapter 36. The lineage of Esau, a profane man who despised his birthright. A man who married outside of the will of God for selfish purposes. A man who forsook the way to pursue pleasure and build his own little kingdom. But when you read that chapter, there was some mighty men. In the lineage of Esau. They called them the Dukes of Edom. You know, I don't know much about Dukes. When I was growing up, they had the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> it talks about the Dukes of Edom here. And what a Duke was, was an aristocrat. A man of renown. A mighty man. That's what a Duke was. And it says here that there are no fewer than 14 Dukes there in the lineage. But we learn something here by way of antithesis or contrast between man's way and God's way. What we see when we study the pathway of Esau and his progeny versus the path of Jacob and Joseph and the godly life, we see what man esteems versus what God esteems. And we see the way that God blesses and what God seeks to bring forth in a man. You know, it says of those dukes, Esau took his wives and his sons, and it says their riches were more than they might dwell together. They were very prosperous in the natural. Looking at it with the eye of man, it seemed like they had Everything seemed to be well for the duties of Edom, those that had despised their birthright. But then you come to chapter 37, and it's a whole different picture. It starts off, these are the generations, or the genealogy of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. You might could say, Elisha being 17 years old, was cutting the yards with his brethren. Here we have God's future Just a daddy's boy. Just serving his father's vision. 
Yes, sir. But this is the way that he was prepared to become the Savior of the world. This is what we need to see here tonight. Those dukes were some mighty men in the natural. But when famine <coughs> hit the world, there was no corn in Edom. Come on. Come on. There was corn in Egypt. And those mighty dukes had to come down and knock on Joseph's door to get come something on. to eat. Uh, do you see this? Yeah. It doesn't matter what it looks like Come on. in the natural. Right. God's way is not your way. And although it may look so glorious, it may seem like an easier path. That's the way of death. And anyone that takes that way, they will forfeit the very purpose of yeah. death. That's right. Oh yes, Brother Creed. Preach one of the most glorious messages I've ever heard in my life. Is the cross nothing? And he said, 12 years of age, the boy, the Lord Jesus Christ, was found in the temple declaring the purpose of his life. I must be about my father's business. That is what made him all. And that's the passion of every true Christian and dreamer. A desire to that vision was fleshed out by 18 years at a carpenter's come on, come on, being fashioned as a vessel. Amen. But you remember Joseph's dream about the sheaves. He said, I had a dream. And a sheaf represents the, the labor, the daily labor of a man. And he said, we were all binding sheaves. And my sheaf stood up. And all of your sheaves came and bowed down to my sheaf. You think about this. Joseph was in Egypt serving another man's vision. A servant of life. He found himself in a dungeon. He was oppressed with his brothers. They're getting buried. They're building their own little kingdoms. They're doing all of these things in the natural. But what we see here is that what God did in Joseph, as Timothy did, He let God work in that life. As He sought first God's kingdom, what was wrought in His labor had intrinsic, eternal value. And even though those brothers were doing everything and increasing in the natural, what they accomplished in those years bowed down to what God did Come on. in Joseph's Amen. Yeah. You know, we're warned in the Scriptures. The Bible says, Woe to those that are at ease. Yeah. That's the temptation. Yes. Just to become passive. Come on now. Just to back off. <coughs> Those that trust in the mountain of Samaria, that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches, that drink wine bowls, anoint themselves with the chief ointments. What is this? This is a sober warning to God's people who had lost their vision 
regarding their purpose to glorify and represent God. And they had become content with their present state. Thus they were seeking the natural blessings of life rather than spiritual compromise. God says, Well, unto such as that. Right after that warning, it says something. It says they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Uh, always wondered what that meant until I looked up that word affliction in my strongest place. That word affliction, it means the solution or the interpretation of a dream. Come on. You see, we must not merely be content to see and know the truth, but we must be faithful dreamers who actually become the interpretation and the fulfillment and the solution of the dream. You see, Joseph was not merely a man who had a dream or a vision. He was a man that gave himself fully to the way that he could become all that God revealed to him. This is what we must understand tonight. Admiring is not possessing. The seed is not the root. Revelation is not incarnation. Having knowledge of what is wrong is not enough. Amen. We must become the truth that we have seen and preached. Because God's desire is in incarnation. What was the secret of Joseph's success? He understood the truth of Romans 8. He said, as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day and to save much people alive. Joseph believed God. And the Bible said, if you study that life, it says God was with him. Yeah. That was the secret. He wanted what God wanted. He wasn't living for his own advancement. He was living for the glory of God. And because of that, he could see the way. And because of that, he had grace to remain in the way. And because of that, he was prepared to become the interpretation of the dream. Jacob's life. He gathers his children around. And here's the blessing that he pronounced on Joseph. Mike, you can come on to the piano here. Here it is. Here's the description of that life. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over. Yes, sir. Branches <laughs> sagging with fruit that others have yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It yeah. says the archers have sorely grieved him yes. and they shot at him mm. and they hated him. Come on. Oh, yeah, the devil. He saw a funeral He raised up oppression. He raised up slander. All of hell came against that man. With his bow abode in strength. 
arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. Even by God, even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above. Yes, sir. We must not grow weary. Come on. That's what I'm doing. We must stay. <coughs> we must not be disobedient. Oh, the heavenly vision. Come on. We must, by God's grace, continue in the West. Knowing that God is looking for a vessel. Someone that He can use in this hour that will have life. You know, Habakkuk's prayer. He prayed for revival. He said, revive us, God. But he said, revive us in the midst of the years. Oh, that song. So insightful. You know, when you're first born again, there's zeal. There's excitement. Oh, you see that vision. And in your mind, oh, you've got plans how it's all going to work out. Began to live life. Amen. And you get away from that beginning. Amen. And you start moving on through life. Things don't always turn out the way that you thought they were going to turn out. Yes, sir. The fruition of that initial vision doesn't always materialize like we anticipate. There's setbacks, there's a responsibility. There's betrayal. You get older and you can't trust in the strength of the truth. You see, it's this point of the race that we're most tempted to lay down. Yes. That's, That's right. why I said, oh God, in the midst of the year. That's right. You know, I used to run the quarter mile in high school. Oh, what a race, a grueling race. And you'd start off on that first curve, a full sprint. Oh, you take out full of energy. You get on that, that straightaway and you just lay it out right there. But when you got around the back curve, way away from the grandstands, my dad always told me, he said, Charlie, you get back there on that back curve, there's a big bear in those woods. That thing's going to come and jump on your back. Yes, sir, that was the truth. That's the hardest part of the race. You can't see the finish line. Coming around that curve and your legs are on fire. In fact, I'll never forget this. I was running that race, running against a young man who was a year younger than me. And we were running that race. <coughs> His older brother was a legend in track. His name was Jody Smith. And when we got on the backside of that track, Jody Smith was back there. Come on. Come on. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. Come on. That's where the race is won. Come on. Because if you can get around that curve, you can see that finish line. Oh, yeah, but when you're on that curve, you can't see. That's the midst of the year. Right. Come on. So I believe that's where we are as a church. 
we're in the midst of the years and God is seeking to revive and to strengthen us for the way. The devil is attacking. He wants us to lay down this vision. He wants us to settle for something less. Come on. We need to understand. We can't be ignorant of the wilds. Come on. Let's make an altar right here. At our chains. Let's ask God to revive us in the midst of the years. Perhaps you've fallen into a spiritual run. Perhaps you've lost the clarity of that dream. He reduced. He strengthened. He revives the heart of the contract. Let's renew our commitment.
satisfied in these men's meetings. You know, the first men's meeting we had, we had a vision, you know, with our sons. And uh, a lot of these older young men were uh, some of the ages, some of the younger men were then. And some of those young men that were in those meetings are not out of the world. That's right. Because yeah. they sat here. That just by osmosis, you're going to one day catch on fire for Jesus. That's right. You understand? It happens. That's right. right? Yeah. You just, just pass it. That ain't going to happen. You're going to go to hell. Like That's, you right. That's right. That ain't going to happen. You're going to have to rise up and say self, and take self, and look self in the face. You're going to drag self in that altar, and you're going to pray for the God. Come on. Yes, sir. Come on. That's right. No matter how spiritual your father is. Yes, sir. How spiritual your mother Come on. is. Come on. It don't matter how spiritual your brothers are. Come on. You're going to have to take over God for yourself. Yes, sir. Right. You're going to have to pray through you see. And if you don't see, then the devil's going to come on the right. door, and his station is going to be fulfilled in God's. Mm. Right. You've got to respond to what you see. That's right. Folks, all of us. Amen. Amen. Dream that dream. Dream it in Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.